Hello, and welcome to episode 75 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me again for the second week in a row is my friend Ian Anderson. Ian, welcome back. How was your Christmas? It was pretty good. How was yours? I can't complain. I mean, obviously, I didn't go home, but Mm -hmm. I went to Connecticut with Dana and her family was so nice. They got me a bunch of presents, which I was not expecting. I felt bad because I only got them like one or two presents, but I mean, everyone was so nice. So it was it was really nice. Um, It was just her parents there, but it was a fun time. We made cookies. I know you talked about cookies last time. There was a dog there. Yeah. Oh, there was two dogs. Oh, there's more than one. Yeah. I only posted Tubby on social media Tubby. because he's the one that he's he's the only one that'll let you put the antlers on place without just wanting to take them off. But Roxy is also there. So um, you were on the podcast last week and last week we talked about a bunch of stuff. Um, we talked about the season two finale of Mandalorian. We talked Disney Investor Day. We talked fake Christmas movies. We were all over the place, but I thought that was a really fun conversation This week, we're going to be a bit more focused. We've got one item on the agenda, but it is arguably one of the biggest films of 2020. We're talking about Wonder Woman 1984. We're going to warm up with our spoiler-free thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984 before running straight into spoiler territory, where we can talk freely about the film. And lastly, we'll finish with our point two section with a bit of a spin this week, where we talk about the myriad of other things that we've been watching this holiday season. But for now, let's start with a synopsis of Wonder Woman 1984. So normally I read the synopsis from IMDb, but I wanted to read the one that's directly on the HBO Max summary because I think it reads as if an intern was (laughs) like just had to watch the trailer and then write what the movie was about without actually seeing the movie. So it says, fast forward to the 1980s as Wonder Woman's next big screen adventure finds her riding lightning across the sky donning wings of gold, and chasing a dream while in pursuit of two new formidable foes. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like that is just a summary of the trailer, and it almost feels like a marketing pitch. Yeah. Um, But anyways, Wonder Woman 1984 stars Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, Pedro Pascal, and Kristen Wiig. It is written by Patty Jenkins, Jeff Jones, and Dave Callahan, and it is directed by Patty Jenkins. My life hasn't been what you probably think it has. We all have our struggles. Have you ever been in love? A long, long time ago. You? So many times. Yeah, all the time. Welcome to the future. Life is good, but it can be better. And why shouldn't it be? All you need is to want it. So let's just start by clearing up a pretty common misconception. Despite its title, Wonder Woman 1984 is only the (laughs) second Wonder Woman film. It is the sequel to DC's Wonder Woman from 2017, which was also directed by Patty Jenkins, and it is widely considered to be the best film in the DCEU. Wonder Woman 1984 is the ninth film in the DCEU. Uh, It was released on Christmas Day, and it is the first of Warner Bros. films to be released simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max. 
And since its release, which was just two days ago, it feels like it's been out for like a month, but it <laughs> was just two days ago. But since then, the reception of the film and its discourse has been, I don't know, whirlwindy, a nightmare, awful to partake in, any all sorts of things. I think, uh, you know, early reviews of the film were largely positive, and I think the film was sitting at around 85% before its general release mm -hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes, I mean. And then after a few hours, that started dropping, dropping really quickly, which is really uncommon for Rotten Tomato scores to do because most critics get to see it pretty early. So there's a pretty general consensus out there. I think right now the film is sitting at around 66%, which is really? still positive. Hmm. It's still positive, but that is significantly lower than 85% for sure. I've seen a lot of people calling this film the worst movie of the year. I've seen people calling it problematic. Um, I've seen other people who love the film. And of course, <laughs> there's every opinion in between that as well. And I think it's very common for DCEU films in particular to be divisive. And Wonder Woman 1984, if anything, is divisive. Yeah. But Ian, <laughs> before we talk about the film itself and what we thought about it, I just want to briefly ask you about the character of Wonder Woman. She's an iconic DC character, probably one of the most well-known superheroes of all time just by name. But I honestly don't really know too much about her. Have you read Wonder Woman comics? Um, what separates her from DC's other superheroes? Yeah, I've got to be honest, I, ha I haven't really zeroed down on the character uh, of Wonder Woman herself on, on her single comics, but I I've read plenty where, like, the Justice League comics and stuff like that. Um, I watched all the cartoons of Justice League, and something that I've always found interesting is how similar she is to Superman, mm -hmm. but how she seems so much more not grown up than Superman, but... He seems naive compared to her. Like she's been around the block a few times. Like she she's a born and bred warrior. Um, she's been exposed to like mankind's greatest and mankind's lowest. And I, I think mm -hmm. that she has always done um a good job at towing the line between her warrior strength and like her her compassion for people. And that's something I think it that's a more of a struggle for Superman. To, to really let loose every once in a while. But I, mm -hmm. I think she is somebody that knows how to do that. That makes sense. So she's kind of like Superman, except for she's not the Boy Scout. Like she doesn't do that extra 10% where it's Superman never wavers, right? I feel yeah. like Wonder Woman has a little bit more gray area where she's willing to make the compromises if needed, but she's obviously not like an anti-hero or something. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much how I see her. Um, there are so many different iterations of every character. It's hard to right, <laughs> pinpoint it. Right. But. but she's also a god. She has kind of that god complex, like, mm. or not a god complex, but has the, the feeling of being a god, being larger than life, which mm. I think is something that the first movie does really, really well. Um, I think that first film does a really good job at feeling impactful, feeling like the first iteration of getting to experience such an iconic character on the big screen. I think that film, I have a lot of problems with it, but I think it feels very important and mm -hmm. feels very significant. So there were a lot of people, I think you and me included, that were really excited about Wonder Woman 1984. And it had kind of the big task of being the next Wonder Woman, right? You know, it wanted to match that quality and it wanted yeah. to continue the legacy of what is probably the only successful DCEU franchise going right now. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe Aquaman a little bit, but Man of Steel is dead in the water. As far as I know, Batman, in terms of 
Bruce Wayne's iteration or uh, Ben Affleck's. Affleck's, Yeah, yeah, Ben Affleck's iteration is completely done. So Gal Gadot is one of the mainstays for the DCEU. So with that, I mean, with those expectations, what did you think about this film? What were your overall thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's totally different from the first movie. Mm -hmm. Um, The first film had like this big, epic World War One feel, like a a larger than life sort of story. And this really the, the, the tone in this movie was just so different, which I guess you could expect after the trailer and uh, setting the stage of like, this is going to be sort of an 80s movie. But I think it captured the fun of like an 80s action movie without making it feel like it was just a throwback movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite parts, I think was probably one of your favorite parts about the original Wonder Woman uh, was the relationship between Steve Trevor and uh, Wonder Woman, Chris Pine and Gal Gadot. Yeah. And I, I think this was something that they really nailed again in this movie. It was obviously very different with them already knowing each other at this point and being in the 80s, but I, I think that was still a highlight of uh, of the Wonder Woman movie. Yeah, so... Were you overall positive on this film? Did yeah, you think it well, was Yeah. I, I think I I think I was overall po- positive. There are little nitpicky things, but Yeah, okay. So it was why, a good movie, why are you hesitant to say that you're overall positive? Like it because you're making it I, seem like it was close to being not overall positive. No, I had I had a good time watching this movie, but it was one of those movies where if you think about things for like more than ten seconds, you're it sort <laughs> of starts to fall apart. Yeah. But other, I mean, it was a fun experience. I love seeing uh, Wonder Woman on screen. Gal Gadot is amazing. Uh, I thought the action was awesome. Some of the stunts were actually really cool. Uh, and the special effects, I thought, were a lot better in this one. Cool. I, yeah, I think I think it was a good experience. Okay. Um, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think, ultimately, I am relatively positive on the film, too. I don't think this is the worst film of the year by any means even though i didn't love wonder woman the first one there were parts of it that i really really appreciated and i think Mm -hmm. that the same thing is true about this film i there are parts of this film that i really appreciate and that i really enjoyed overall though i do not think this is a very good movie um, at all i think that the reason that i was able to have fun with this film is that this film doesn't have as high of ambitions as the first film Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the films in the DCEU want to be very smart. They want to be very serious and they want to be this pinnacle of blockbuster cinema when in fact they're actually really silly and pretty poorly written. That's the reason why I don't think Man of Steel works very well. I think mm-hmm. Batman versus Superman, same thing. They're both very pretentious. And so when they ask you to take themselves seriously and then they're shitty, it's like a double blow. That's why parts of Wonder Woman don't work for me quite as well as it does Mm -hmm. for other people. But I do think that the first film is still very solid in a lot of aspects. And I think it is significantly better than this film. Um, But then that kind of playfulness and that like, let's not take things too seriously is why Shazam works really well for me. So Wonder Woman 1984 knows that it isn't trying to be this self-serious piece of work. So I was able to give it a few more breaks that I might mm-hmm. not be able to give a film that demands to take itself seriously. That being said, though, with the shift in tone and the sort of like laid back comic booky feel to it all, 
it does give the film a feeling of insignificance in my opinion like it does yeah. this doesn't feel epic it doesn't feel meaningful like its predecessor and i think that is very different from the first film which even though it does have problems has a weight to it, it has a significance i mean the nomad no man's land scene alone is like fantastic and it just gives you that rush and that thrill which i don't think anything in this film does i feel like this film is more on the same level as something like ant-man and the wasp where i'll go mm. i would love to see it in theaters i had fun i laughed i was like great look there's ant-man there's evangeline lily <laughs> as the wasp it's awesome yeah. but i don't think about that movie ever right and i feel like it's kind of weird to equate that film to something with one of dc's most iconic characters at the center i i i agree with you on that i think the main difference in our opinions on this movie is I might have weighted um, how great it is to see Wonder Woman on screen a bit higher than you. <laughs> <laughs> so you mean like just the fact that she was there at all? Yeah, just like seeing just like seeing Wonder Woman doing Wonder Woman things, saving people, that kind of thing. I, I I think that just means a lot more to me. Maybe like that 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 gives it like an A plus, and then you have to like I take off points from there. I see. So so you're working from the like, everybody gets 100% and let's see how they fuck up. Whereas I'm yeah. like, well, everyone's working from a C and they can fuck up more or they can build up to A. I think that's fair. Yeah, exactly. Um, that, that's like the same thing I did with like um, the Avengers movies. Like you're, you're, you're having all my favorite people on screen. You, this is already the best thing I've ever seen. Um, and I'm just going to take <laughs> off points from there. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, that's certainly fair, but I do feel like it that sort of assessment does kind of undervalue when a film does something truly exceptional, right? Because I mean, I think we oh, look at a yeah, film totally. like this and yeah, sure. Wonder Woman's on screen, but wouldn't it have been so much better if Wonder Woman was on screen and like, and the plot made sense and yeah. things were good, you know? Yeah. Don't, don't take what I just said too seriously either, because I mean, I, I love Superman and I love Batman, but I hate all of the appearances that they've had <laughs> in the DCEU. Okay. But that that does sort of remind me, just sort of thinking about the other movies, that does remind me of something that I really liked about this film. I liked that it seemed to focus down on a few characters mm -hmm. um, and give several characters more fleshed out arcs, whereas previously in the DCEU, they've sort of rushed things. And I, yeah. I feel like that's been one of their biggest weaknesses. I, I saw that you mentioned on Twitter that people were criticizing the use of two villains in this movie. But I, I, I feel like besides the original Wonder Woman, this is probably the most character focused DCEU movie and the villains made the most sense to me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> um, I, I, one of the things that I think is so off putting for me about this movie is that the best parts of the film are the parts where it's just interactions between the characters. Yeah. And like I actually I mean, you, you mentioned that you enjoyed the action scenes. I didn't. I thought the action scenes were terrible, and I want to talk a little bit more specifically about that. But while we're still being positive, I really do like the <laughs> the dynamic between Gal Gadot, Diana, and uh, what's his name? Chris Pine's character. Steve, Steve Trevor. Trevor. Like, yeah. I, I like their dynamic. I like their relationship. How Steve Trevor, a World War I pilot, comes back into the 1980s is really silly. It's really stupid. But it's also very comic booky, and it's one of those things that's like, okay, well, whatever. I, I don't really care. And I feel like that's sort of the mentality that you have to have with virtually every single plot beat in this film is like, yeah, that's really silly. That's nonsense. But does it pay off? Does it make for an entertaining film? 
for the most part, yes. So I think those things are a little bit more okay. Um, but I also really like the the Kristen Wiig character. I thought she was great. Um, mm-hmm. It's fun to get to see her like actually be a badass character instead of just sort of this goofy, nerdy comedy role thing, which is what she I, starts I out. She did as. a great job. Um, you got to really see like all sides of like Kristen Wiig's yeah. like acting. Well, it's funny because the the first part of the film is like, haha, we're going to pretend that Kristen Wiig isn't attractive. But then <laughs> she gets her powers or whatever. And then they're like, no, Kristen Wiig is attractive. And it, and it works, even though you don't necessarily think of her as like, I don't know. Yeah, there's something similar to that we can talk about, but it's going to be more in spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so um, I just want to hit a couple more things and then we can hop into spoilers so that we can talk specifics here. Um for me, where this film really does fall apart is the action sequences. And I'd love to know what you liked about the action sequences. But I think they are some of the worst that I've seen in a blockbuster this big. And I think there's also very few of them. Like this movie is two hours and 45 mm-hmm. minutes or something, two hours, 30. And there's, I believe, four action sequences, which made me feel pretty bored throughout the entire movie. But also I was like bored for all of the main action set pieces. There's this brief opening scene in Themyscira, which I think is fine. Um, doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the movie, which was kind of weird, but it's fine. Um, but then well, they go did, to the theme did not really. We, we can talk about it, but okay. I, I don't think it does <laughs> at all. But um, the opening fight sequence in the mall, I thought was really clunky and poorly constructed. I liked really? that. That they was were... like my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> See, I liked what they were going for with let's make it 80s and kind of goofy and campy but i just thought it was so poorly put together like it was just clunky in my opinion and i feel like that's true about a lot of the other fight scenes in the movie but i agree that even um on the second watch i was like okay i can i can have fun with this at least like at least she's having fun but it is sort of weird that like that scene was the one that opened up the movie it was just so weirdly put together like at one point there's a guy who's like throwing a girl over a ledge for some reason. Then like another little girl comes out and puts herself in harm way for no reason. And then like she lassos her into a teddy bear. It was just all very weird. And that, that was all very comic booky to me. Just like, of course there has to be a kid there. Of course, (laughs) like there are, there are children playing in the street while there's a bus speeding toward them. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, that that part didn't bother me so much. And again, like, I don't think that there's a problem with being superhero-y because these are superhero films. So I like that. I just don't think that the action is all that well constructed because I don't think that like, I I don't think that just making something campy and self-aware of the fact that it's in the 80s allows it to be kind of shitty, right? Uh Like, I think Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, is self-aware and Deadpool is self-aware, but that action is still relatively good. Yeah. So so you, you think that this is like, it can't decide whether it wants to be like a campy 80s movie or not? No, I think that it does a relatively good job at like being 80s, but not being too annoyingly 80s. I just think that like the actual execution of the set pieces has bad CGI and the characters like, don't do interesting things in my opinion. So like okay. we've okay. got this scene, the kind of the second big action set piece after like an hour of where no action happens, which I guess is fine, you know, whatever, but they're in Cairo and it's kind of like a, a tank scene or whatever. And it just looks clunky how she 
walks around and like how she moves feels so unreal. It doesn't feel like she's a real physical human being. I feel mm -hmm. like CGI, when it's bad, it makes digitally created characters feel like there's no physical weight behind anything that they're doing. And so like there's yeah. no impact when they make blows. There's no when those characters move, it looks like somebody is just dragging them digitally from one part of the scene to the next instead of having a human being do a physical movement that is just stronger and further than a regular human being. Like, I feel like the characters should still feel like they're an actual physical construct. And I feel mm. like in this movie and in a lot of the DCEU films, they don't. And that really, really bothers I me. And I, and I think it just it just looks bad. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can see what you mean. In the same way with like the flash running, like nobody looks like. <laughs> right. And that's a DC TV show on the CW. Yeah. There's a scene where Wonder Woman is running fast and they do like that close up thing of and her like, like running sliding. speed. Well, it lo it literally looks like she's on a treadmill with a green screen. It looks yeah. worse than it does in the flash TV show. Yeah. I, I was blown away by how bad it is. I thought it looked like she was like skiing or something. <laughs> like her feet were just sliding across the ground. Yeah. Well, and I think part of that is like sort of because she has these flight esque powers. But I mean, it still just looks unnatural. It doesn't look mm. like she's a human being doing those things. Yeah. Like maybe some of it, if you're being really charitable, is like, hey, we're an 80s movie, so we want the cheesy sort of goofy looking action. <laughs> but if that's the case, that's a terrible fucking decision. Your movie is $150 million. Like, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, no, the, I, so, I completely I understand. <laughs> the, the other thing is that the final uh, fight scene of this movie is takes place during the dark and is completely visually incomprehensible. Yeah, I didn't understand that. For a movie that seemed to be such a shift to being bright yep. uh and fun i i didn't understand why all of a sudden it was just pitch black yeah i mean it's probably because the cgi in the scene looked shitty and it's easier yeah, I, to i couldn't tell if it was the same thing as in like the end of black panther when uh d like the killmonger fight yeah but that scene at least like that's got some pretty shitty cgi but at least it's in day and you can kind of see what's going on the cgi doesn't look great in that but you can understand and comprehend what's going on. I feel like in this yeah. one, it's black smudges going against each other. And it's like, again, you, this is a $150. No, it's a $150 million movie. <laughs> so like, I don't know, do better. Like we have decades of superhero movies at this point. You should not, this should not look like the final scene in the Ang Lee Hulk movie. That's yeah. what it reminded me of. It's like they're in this power conductor thing. It's completely grayed out. And like you're saying, I think a lot of the marketing of this film has been like, look how fucking colorful our movie is. Look at yeah. Gal Gadot in her <laughs> golden armor. And then the only scene, I guess spoilers a little bit, but the only scene that she wears the golden armor armor in is a scene that it's it's like pitch black, so you can't even appreciate how cool it looks. It's like what yeah. the fuck? I know. That that actually really that that really pissed me off. I was really excited to see that armor finally, and then I'm like, okay, it's it's faded right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm worried we're getting a little too much into spoilers here. Is there any other points that you want to make before we hop into spoilers here? Um, yeah, before I make my last point, I just want to reiterate, I, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was fun. You should definitely see it. I think it, I think on a binary scale, I think people should see it. Okay. Um, but I think this movie had an issue with you know, like the whole like show don't tell rule. 
I think they didn't tell us anything about rules or stakes in this movie. <laughs> and I, it's one of those things, like I, I talked about in the beginning, where if you start to think about anything for too long, it sort of starts to fall apart. Yeah. I, I didn't understand where the plot was going, how the how things were happening to the characters. Uh, and I, I certainly didn't really understand uh, what like the motivations were for the villains. And I, I think it's really interesting that that was like my issue with this because in the more uh, like the Snyder directed movies, I had an issue with like them doing too much telling and not enough showing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I, I think that like on the one hand, this film feels like it's directed by somebody who's competent. Like Patty Jenkins mm -hmm. is a good director. Yeah. And she does do a lot, especially in the very beginning of showing and not telling. Like I think the establishing shots after the the mall sequence do a mm -hmm. really good job at showing this is where Diana is um emotionally and this is where she is um career wise or whatever. Yeah. I mean she doesn't actually have a career, but you know what I mean. Like it shows a lot without saying having somebody give exposition like Diana, remember you had a, um, uh, well, I guess they sort of do because there is another scene where she interacts with Kristen Wiig's character and they talk about how she was in love once and with Steve Trevor and stuff. But before that, I, I guess the film does a relatively good job at like showing and, and not saying, but you're right that as we go on, there's these weird power sets, there's all of this random crap that happens and it's never really explained. Yeah. And I think that does ultimately come down on the script, which I think is like one of the weakest parts of this film mm -hmm. is the way that things are shown and told to us. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, we already talked about Kristen Wiig. We already talked about um, Steve and Diana's interaction. What I did like was that the the dynamic between Steve and Diana was switched in this film when compared yeah. to the previous film, right? Like I did there like was that. that reverse fish out of water sort of thing. and. I don't know if like that carries the whole movie, but there's a couple scenes where I did like actually laugh out loud. It was fun to interact with them and watch them mm -hmm. interact with the world. And that's really easy to watch, which I think is why the first half of this movie is so much better than the last half. I agree. Yeah, I love them. It's like the kind of thing I, I could watch like uh, Chris Evans as Captain America, like learning about things that he's missed for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> Disney Plus show of Chris Evans learning how to be in the, the 21st century. You know, um, you joke, but... <laughs> yeah, you, you never freaking know. I mean, I guess he's doing Buzz Lightyear, so he's still in the pocket. Um, What are your thoughts on Gal Gadot as the Wonder Woman character? Like, obviously, she's not that great of an actress, but I also don't think that these movies really ask her to do that much acting, so that mm -hmm. doesn't really bother me. But what do you think? I I actually thought acting wise, she did a lot better in this movie. Yeah, but um, I mean, it's more like there were only like three I'm times things were sad. really asked of her. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, I think she did a really good job at that. But I, I totally think she nails uh, Wonder Woman. Like, I never have, I, never have I felt like I needed a recasting or like they messed up on that. Yeah, I, it's really hard for me to imagine anyone but Gal Gadot in mm -hmm. the role and that's why i wanted to like make a specific point about it since we obviously don't have an episode on the first wonder woman i feel like when gal gadot is on screen there's never a doubt in my mind that the diana character is a god yeah she carries such a weight with her yeah. when she's like 
when she steps on screen. She embodies that goddess essence perfectly. Mm. And it's not just because she's like really attractive. Like obviously she is, but there's just something about the way that she has a physicality that's so believable. And it's like, yeah, I believe you are the child of Zeus. Mm -hmm. The like reverse of that though, is that it's really hard for me to imagine Diana doing anything that a normal human being would do. Like I can't imagine Gal Gadot eating or sleeping or like going to the DMV. (laughs) And I think it's just funny because there's a scene when she meets Kristen Wiig's character at their place of work, right? And Kristen Wiig is supposed to be this like dweeby person or whatever. And she's super intimidated by Diana. And on one level, it's like, yeah, I I don't believe that Kristen Wiig isn't attractive. But then on the other hand, like if I was Kristen Wiig, I get it. Yeah, no, I I agree. Could you imagine seeing somebody like Diana at your place of work and just being like, "Well, yeah, she's works at the Smithsonian." Sure, it's <laughs> she's I I think it's a perfect casting. The other thing I'll say before we hop into spoilers is that the music in this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. To it's John Williams, he doesn't miss, but it's almost to the point that like the epicness of the music highlights how unepic some of the stuff in this movie is, and it's just like I'm supposed to I'm supposed to feel like this is amazing and it's not, but the music is amazing. Yeah, uh, it, it really <laughs> the was. opening scene in Themyscira, holy crap, the music is so good. Mm-hmm. So with that, we can start to hop into spoilers. Ian, why don't you summarize your thoughts on the film, give it a score out of 10, and then maybe rank where it is compared to DC's other films. I, I actually really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was a totally different tone from the first movie, though. Um, it's a bit smaller scale than the the World War I uh, Diana that we're used to. But I think that it really captured some of the best parts of the first movie. And they captured the fun of 80s action movies without making it feel uh, too too cheesy to me, at least. Um, I know it's something that we disagree on, but <laughs> but uh, I, I did really enjoy it. The plot leaves something to be desired, but we'll talk about that more in spoilers. <laughs> um, and as far as the DCEU, I think this is probably my third favorite um, behind the first Wonder Woman and Shazam. All right. And so what would you score it out of 10? Oh, um, I'd probably score it like a... Six and a half out of 10. Okay. So for me, similar feelings, just maybe a little more negative. Ultimately, Um, I think the plot of this film, the motivation of its villains, the way that the film ends, which I'm sure we'll talk about, it's all very comic booky. It's Mm. really silly. It's really dumb. But I don't think that that is inherently flawed. It's just that it's an adjustment that you need to make. So if the film, if you want a film and specifically if you want your superhero films to feel like everything makes logical sense, which I think is perfectly fair. um, If you want that, then you're not going to enjoy this movie and I would not recommend you watching this movie. But if you want something that is just fun and something that is silly and has some fun characters playing around then i think while this film is by no means one of the better comic book movies that do that i think it's certainly passable and it's a perfectly fine way to spend like a christmas morning or in the case of if you're listening to this and haven't seen it you know new year's i don't know so like ian or so ian i agree that this is probably my third favorite um i'd probably put shazam as number one 
and then the second Wonder Woman, and then this film. Um, and I think there's actually a pretty big gap between one and two and the rest of the DCEU. Yeah, totally. Uh, I agree. <laughs> um, and so Wonder Woman 1984 would be about a six for me, um, which is just a little bit below average, but certainly passable. Yeah, we landed around the same spot. Yeah. And I do think um, before we go into spoilers, it is worth noting, um, I just saw today that Wonder Woman 3 is happening with Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm really interested to see where they go with that after after the end of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the end of spoilers, we will talk about that. So let's um, let's go ahead and hop into spoilers first, talk all about that, and then talk about where we want this thing to go. So um, let's go ahead and take a break here. And when we return, we will be hopping into spoilers for Wonder Woman 1984. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, we're back and talking about spoilers for Wonder Woman 1984, starting now. That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. Do you think that anybody actually thought this was like the 1,984th no. <laughs> edition to Wonder Woman? No, I, I seriously <laughs> doubt that. Um, if you did think that, I'm sorry, but you're probably stupid. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry you had to learn it here. <laughs> and I'm sorry I was just so condescending. Um, all right, let's talk about... Diana's arc in this film and mm. maybe about how you think it ties back to the flashback scene because I feel like it doesn't at all for all the problems with the movie specifically all the like plotty bullshit and the shitty action I actually did think that Diana's arc with Steve was really touching mm -hmm. and it tracks well um I think there's a lot of people criticizing like Diana's need to pine no pun intended for a man <laughs> Uh, even in the second film, I, I get that criticism, but I do think that just like as a human being, it makes sense. Like she clearly from the first film connected a lot with Steve. And I think not being able to get over him is a very valid and realistic thing to explore. I don't yeah. know if it would take 70 plus years or whatever, but like, you know, in terms of this being her second film, I understand her still grieving about that. And I think her speech about how he's all she's ever wanted, I think that is such a classic superhero dilemma, right? Like having to sacrifice the one yeah. thing that you want in order to be a hero. So I thought that worked really well. The, 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 her character arc was very much like a with great power comes great responsibility yeah. arc for me, <laughs> which isn't a problem. I, I, I thought that was probably the best arc of the movie, hers. Yeah, and I felt bad for her for having to give up Steve. I like mm. 
I was like, oh, I understand that. And again, that's a testament to Gal Gadot's performance. It's not that hard to be like, oh, you're sad. I get it. Mm-hmm. But it is acting. It's technically <laughs> acting. So, um, <laughs> but I think what's what's weird is that the flashback scene doesn't really have to do with that idea of like accepting the past and moving on because like for me no but the, it had to do with cheating and she she cheated death by wishing him back uh i don't know i like like it, it was something that she she wasn't supposed to have she wasn't supposed to win that contest in the beginning and i thought it actually related more to maxwell lord's shtick that that he was true. cheating that's true um yeah i mean i feel like it just to me, it set up that the story would be about how Diana needs to learn a lesson about not taking shortcuts and not cheating. And I don't feel like, because she, I mean, okay, yeah, like, so truth, truth was the lesson of the the first of like the first scene in the well, movie. Well, so I agree that mascara. truth was the lesson of the the overall film, but I feel like it was a really weird roundabout way to get to truth in a flashback. Like, oh, no, yeah, I agree, but I I still think it related. I don't think it was that good. I don't think it was nearly as good as the the Themyscira scene in the first movie, but um, I thought yeah, it was still pretty good. I, I don't know. I, I just feel like it wasn't clear to me from the beginning that, like, to me, she wasn't lying, and it also wasn't even really clear that she had, quote-unquote, cheated in the game yeah, no, until they explicitly said that they cheated. They put a slide there. Yeah, and, and <laughs> where in the rules does it say you have to hit every single, like, I don't know. To me, it was very much going to be like, a, oh, look, Diana needs to learn how to not cheat in order to win. And I don't feel like she's cheating death so much as she's like, if anything, she's taking a shortcut to get to like a happy ending or something. But again, that doesn't seem like because she accidentally wishes for it. It's not like mm-hmm. she I, I don't know. I don't know. It just didn't really work for me. Yeah, but she refuses to give him up, which is one of my really big issues with the movie that I couldn't talk about non-spoilers. Um, the rules of the wishing and what's going <laughs> yeah. on with that. All right. <laughs> I mean, we, we can try and make sense of that, but it is absolute nonsense. So when when did you start to figure out what was going on with like Diana's powers? Okay, so great question, because I actually, one thing I loved about the film, and it was sort of like my fault, but in the the highway through Cairo scene, I was watching it, and I had to audibly prevent myself from being like, this is bullshit. Like, she's supposed to go toe-to-toe with Superman later. There's no mm-hmm. way that, she, that she'd that she be unable to push apart these tanks. This is stupid. Yeah. And then it was revealed later that, oh, no, she's losing her power. So I was like, oh, okay, good job, movie. There is an explanation for that. But I, so I guess, like, a little bit after that scene, I was like, something's up with her powers. But but did you did you immediately figure out that she was losing her powers because Steve was back? Or did... Yeah. I, I thought for the long, like I figured out that she was losing her powers a bit before that Cairo scene, but um, I thought that like Cheetah was draining her of her powers and her powers were being transferred to her. Mm. And then they took so long to say like, oh no, you lose something of yours. Well, yeah. And also that was really inconsistent. Like, And I, I had exactly? it like pointed out to me on Twitter like, Oh no, they clearly established that in the first wish when that guy got his coffee because he burned his lips when he drank the coffee. And I was like, what? That was <laughs> it? That was one of my things where I'm like, tell me what's happening. Like, that is not enough showing. Well, I thought that that was like a good nod to it, but then they do explicitly explain that like it's a monkey's paw, right? In that scene where they go to a random 
junkyard. And but even then, they were like, oh, so it's sort of like a monkey's paw. They, yeah, but like, everybody they, knows what a monkey's paw is. They did, yeah, but they didn't. They didn't find any like specific rules for this for this specific gem, you know. Well, that's because there are no rules. Also, it's <laughs> bullshit that like you have to touch the gem, but radio particle technology counts as touching. All of that is fucking nonsense. Nothing in this movie makes sense. Yeah, and they they said the radio particles didn't even touch them but he was like that was just a figure of speech yeah and i was I, like i was like oh okay so the radio particles won't work and then, then they did. did yeah and then also like the speed of the wishes coming true like it took a while for diana to fully lose her powers and the same with like chia gaining her powers but then like nukes show up out of nowhere instantly yeah i saw a thing that was like why can nukes show up out of nowhere, but Steve has to take some other dude's body? Yeah. Well, so that, w- that was something else. Um, like, the, the whole shtick with Barbara and Cheetah is that gaining powers like Diana is what she wished for, but she's losing, like, her empathy or humanity or something. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty much what happened to everybody who made a wish in this movie. Like, Wonder Woman made a wish for Steve to come back, but she didn't care that he essentially killed a guy by coming back. I see. And, and like, everybody else in the movie seemed to only care about themselves. So I, I was like, did did Barbara really lose a specific thing? Like, everybody oh. lost that, you know? Well, I, th- I think what it was was that it was, like, it was clearly established that the thing that made Barbara good was, like, her personality and her personability. And everything, so it was kind of like dehumanizing her in yeah. in a more specific way. I don't know. I think they could have done a better, like, made her like a super villain at that point, rather than like they they made her turning point like beating up a guy who was trying to sexually assault her. And I'm like, is that supposed to make her a villain? I don't know. Yeah, I think I, that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> well, so I mean, that was certainly where I was like, oh, okay, so she's getting more violent, but I. I don't fucking blame her. But then yeah. I think, you know, the part when she tries to stop Wonder Woman from getting Max Lord in the White House, I think that part is very clearly like, okay, now she's lost it a little bit and she's willing to hurt all those guards and everything. Yeah, but that that's something that still bothered me with Diana's wish. Like, she she knew at that point that Steve had to leave for her to get her powers back to stop all of this. She knew she yeah. could stop all of this at that point. That that just really bothered me because I thought I thought that Diana was being borderline villainous like that as well. Well, I actually like liked that a little bit. Like it gave her that like that coming to terms with having to give up the one thing that you want to give up, right? Like Peter Parker has Uncle Ben and like yeah. or you know, so like there's always that thing in a superhero saga of can you make the right choice? And I think that she struggles a little bit with it because Steve Trevor is so important to her. And she, she even says something like I give everything I have every day and I'm happy to do it, but this is the one thing that I want. You are the one thing that I want. So mm-hmm. I thought it was actually really good that she wasn't instantly like, Oh, okay. makes sense. See ya. Yeah. I don't know. Do, do you see what I mean though? That like everybody was being selfish with this. Yeah. I guess my, my main issue was on Bar- Barbara's side and that, <laughs> Well, I think that's, again, just like the theme of the film and it's sort of 
gets back to the climax of the film, which again, I think is really comic booky and kind of stupid, but like the, the lasso showing the truth to everybody. And I think the idea that like people want all these things and like, especially in the eighties, this material possession was such an important part of American culture. Like mm-hmm. people just wanted more and more and more. But when you show people the truth, when they're able to face the truth, which is exactly apparently what the lasso does, because we were told that like 20 minutes before that happens, then like they will actually make the right decision and they'll do the right thing. And so like Diana, everybody else is like, okay, I rescind my wish or whatever. It just, I guess what's good is that Diana never had the lasso, right? She eventually was able to, through her own willpower, realize the truth that he's like already gone. He's already dead. So I have to give him up. Yeah. And and I did enjoy that last bit where she was like convincing everybody to give up their their wishes. I sort of uh would have preferred if Maxwell Lord didn't have that weird force power that he <laughs> had for some reason. I thought the conversation that they were having was good enough, but for some reason there had to be like things swirling around and Diana being like squished into like the cement walls. Yeah. Like, did, why was that happening? I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> it's a third act of a shitty superhero <laughs> movie. It's like, I, I mean, I guess what he's becoming more and more powerful and he's taking all the life force from everybody. So maybe he's like, <laughs> I don't know, getting to become godlike or something. But yeah, it's. But I thought his ridiculous. body was dying after like granting wishes. So then once he like made everybody or he touched everybody, he was like, I'm going to take in return your life force because like i believe the oh, un- the interpretation I yeah i believe what was happening is that like he gets to choose what he takes from people because now he is the stone so it's not just like some arbitrary thing like with diana yeah. and um the guy who had the coffee and barbara but like now he's like okay i'll give you this but now you owe me this and it's like a contractual thing i don't okay. know okay i didn't i didn't get that at first I guess okay. we didn't really... What are your thoughts on Pedro Pascal in this movie? We haven't really talked oh, I, much about I thought, him. I thought he was pretty good, actually. Yeah, I thought he I was mean, ridiculous. <laughs> we know he's a good actor. I thought his acting was good. Um, well, he's like hamming it up. I didn't understand why this guy was doing these things beyond him just being a con man. And they gave us that one flashback scene yeah. right before he gave up. But I was like, what? what am I watching? Is this the backstory? (laughs) Well, I think the backstory is right. Like this guy is basically, I I think what it's sort of looking at is like, he's a victim of like the false American dream, right? Especially around that time of saying like, look, you just work harder and you get more and more and more and you never stop and you just keep going to the next thing and you do whatever it takes to go higher and higher and higher. Yeah. I I understood why he wanted to be a great dude after that after his his past but i didn't understand where he became a con man like liar greedy kind of guy you know because he obviously cared for his son very much yeah i've heard that there is sort of this comparison to trump here like kind of like a con man a a guy who lies about how successful he is until he becomes successful that sort of thing um yeah i think it's kind of just like uh, a cautionary tale of like this guy who is trying to fake it until he makes it, but then like he makes it, but at what cost kind of thing? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I I just think it was like poorly executed. 
Oh, for sure. I'm I'm not like defending it as a good movie. I'm just saying that like this is how I interpreted his backstory. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's it's there's barely anything here. I will also say that it's never explained how he knows about this dreamstone whatsoever. Yeah. This is a pretty obscure thing, right? Where did he find this information from? Um yeah, I, I agree. Like Steve was like, "Oh, so he's been looking for this thing for a while." And I was like, "But why? Yeah. <laughs> how?" <laughs> Nobody knew what this thing was. Yeah, it was just sitting in the back of some jewelry store. Like, what? Yeah. I don't know. And then there was that weird thing where Gal Gadot was like saying that this was going to bring back this uh, nefarious trickster god. And what happened with that? Yeah, I, I thought that that was going to be like- There was no payoff. The Ares of this movie. And like I was yeah. like, oh, cool. Each Wonder Woman movie is going to focus on a specific god doing crazy shit but then this one just didn't so it's like okay i guess i guess we're abandoning that but that would have been really cool like oh this was a god who was trying to wreak havoc on the world via this device or something i thought that would have been cool and Mm -hmm. i mean maybe they didn't do that because then it would have become like another third act cgi shit show but they did that anyway so i I don't know what to tell you (laughs) yeah that that really grind my gears um (laughs) but back to some positives in the spoiler section um i while you didn't really like that mall scene i loved the little girl who was like watching her doing all this fighting and then the little interaction that they had it reminded me of like the first um the first movie in the themiscara scene where it's like little diana watching all the amazons fight that was really cute i thought yeah, I mean, again, I don't like, yeah, I can do that. I don't dislike the concept. I just didn't like the execution. Like, I just felt it was just a little weak and choppy. And like, just the way that that scene goes is she's fighting a guy and then the girl, she doesn't even do that interaction with the girl that she saves. She does it with another girl who just decides to like walk out in front of it and be like, oh my God, you're yeah. Wonder Woman. And it's like, why? And then there's a bear sitting there that she lassos her out of the way for no reason, even though it was clearly established that nobody other than the one guy who was crazy and threw the girl off the cliff was going to hurt little girl. So I, I don't know. I was just kind of like, it was just cheaply constructed in my opinion. Yeah. But I'm glad I, no, it worked I, for I you. I, I don't want to like shit on you or anything. I mostly just liked that interaction. I think they could definitely de- like benefit from um, a really good fight choreographer or something. Yeah. I don't know, get in contact with whoever worked on Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's another thing that I I did have an issue with Wonder Woman in both of these movies. Um, not to get too negative again, but she's supposed to be like this uber like trained fighter, and we never really see her fighting skills put to the test. Yeah, and I would well, really like to she, see uh, that. Like beats her instantly. Yeah. But another positive thing, I thought the flying in this yeah. um was amazing. It was like some of my favorite super... It looked real, I thought. (laughs) Yeah, and I was really happy with how it didn't feel corny. Like, it actually felt relatable. And I I feel like it was partially because they tied it to the Steve Trevor thing. Like, all that worked really well. I was like, oh, he likes flying, so she feels with him when she flies. I thought that was really easily explained and didn't really hold your hand into it. So, like, yeah, I agree. I thought that part was great. Yeah, I I thought... Uh, they should have done something like that with like Man of Steel, where it looked like he was just like a cannonball flying through the air. 
So I, I did just say that it was really good, but then can we talk about why after that scene, she turns around and then flies with the wings and then also lassos with yeah, the lightning? I, I, I commented on that, like while that was happening, I was like, this is really cool that she's lassoing like on lightning. That's amazing. Like, I thought that was so cool to see, but we like just established that she can fly. Yeah. That's exactly how I felt. And that was one of the other things I was referring to in the non-spoiler section where it's like, yeah. does that make sense? No, it's fucking dumb, but it looks cool. It and looks that scene awesome. does look really cool. <laughs> it was in that scene where I was like, man, I really wish I saw this in theaters because it would have been really cool to hear that sound mix in Dolby and like yeah. have the lightning crackle and have her whoosh by and stuff. Um, what do you think about seeing the film on your screen instead of like in the theaters? I mean, it was definitely a different experience. It's a smaller scale kind of thing, obviously, but I, I think I had a good time and I probably enjoyed the movie as much as I would have Yeah. in theater, besides maybe the sound, obviously the sound. That that would have been so much better in theater, but yeah. I, I think that was the main thing. Yeah, it's not a film that really relies too much on spectacle. Like There really isn't that much big stuff happening other than those kind of like trailer moments and yeah those trailer moments would have been really cool to see in theaters but mm -hmm. it does kind of strangely work as an at-home experience yeah i thought it was fine and i'm excited to see more things at home now now that i can see that at least the experience can work <laughs> yeah and you got a new tv too right so oh yeah that too that helps merry christmas to me <laughs> i've got some nitpicks for you here um i really like the plane sequence with the invisible jet. I thought that was really cool. That's a really mm. fun scene. What are the odds he could actually fly that? Yeah, well, I wasn't even going to touch that. That's <laughs> absolute horseshit. Uh, quick question, though. Is the invisibility thing canon? Like, can she just straight up make things invisible? I don't know if she can just make things invisible. I know she's sort of experienced with magic, but she's not as experienced as a lot of the Amazons. Um, but she does have an invisible jet. Yeah, no, I know that. I just didn't know if, like, she actually made it invisible. I don't know. I'm curious on that as well. Okay. Uh, I think that was just a way to get the invisible jet. Okay, okay. Um, the <laughs> so then after she makes the jet invisible, they suddenly realize it's 4th of July, and then they go through fireworks, right? Mm -hmm. um, fireworks go off. I looked it up at around fi uh, 50 to 300 feet. So they're flying that plane incredibly low to be able to like be in the fireworks, like in that scene. Yeah, I thought about that too. I mean, I didn't really think about how low they were because I, I don't know, obviously, how high do you think fireworks go? I just said 50 to 300 feet. Yeah, but how high did you think that they did? You, like, obviously, they're pretty low. Yeah, so it's just weird. I'm just pointing out that it's weird that <laughs> okay. they can fly a plane through that. Like, even if it's invisible, you would hear a plane. I mean, maybe not with fireworks, but like buildings are taller than 300 feet. I, I was more thinking about like, would these damage the plane? I don't know. I, I don't know anything so. about planes. If you have any um, listeners who know anything about planes, first let me know if Steve would be able to fly a plane in the 1980s well, after well, No being... way would he be able to. He didn't know how to turn it on. Like, it's not like... yeah. Well, he took he took about ten seconds to figure it out. Oh yeah, you're right. Maybe he's just there. a really quick learner. <laughs> so, but the reason that they fly that plane is because like they can't go on a commercial airplane because Diana's mm -hmm. like Steve, don't, you don't have a passport. But, so then she signs him somehow through to getting this plane. Well, yeah, but also 
why doesn't he have a passport? He's just some random guy. Like, wouldn't he have a passport? That's something that was unclear to me. It, does everybody else see him as Steve Trevor? Yeah, he's literally, no, he's literally the other guy. But but we see him as Steve Trevor and so does Diana. Well, no, she sees him as the guy, but we but like see her, him as like Steve her brain, Trevor. Her brain is like, all I can see is Steve. Yeah, it, it's more okay. just like a thing so that Chris Pine can be in the movie. Okay, that I, that was sort of unclear to me too. Okay, but like, so this dude has a passport. Why can't they go on a plane? I mean, there's a whole bunch of problems with the movie. Like, is this guy's job going to call him and be like, where have you gone? You've been missing for several days. But, you yeah. know, and, and then the guy wakes up and he's probably like, what the hell happened? I don't know. Um, Who ate all my Pop-Tarts? Yeah. <laughs> I just bought Pop-Tarts. This crap. Okay. Last big, pretty useless question that is unanswerable, but I'm going to okay. do it anyways. Perfect. I'm excited. Um, you know, she has that scene where she's like, you know, I give everything that I have every day and I'm happy to do it. That implies that she's been doing this superhero stuff a lot for mm -hmm. the last, you know, at least year because they say that these mysterious Wonder Woman sightings have been popping around the DC area for a year. So like Diana has been around what do you think she's been doing for the last 70 years since World War One? Um, that was something that the the whole um montage in the beginning of her going around saving people but being like sort of secretive about it, that was very uh Linda Carter um Wonder Woman TV show esque. Yeah. Um that that was sort of what she did. And and that just reminded me that's what I'm assuming she was doing throughout all that time. So she never intervened with any big world events don't you think there you know, was maybe one specific event that she may have tried to stop wonder woman 3 1930 <laughs> yeah i don't know i we'll, we'll see in the sequel maybe they're gonna go back in time again i guess on that note wonder woman 3 are you excited where do you want this to go do you want it to be another prequel to justice league or do you want it to be post justice league what are your thoughts um yeah that's such a good question because on one hand i really want a good sequel to this one but also i hate everything else <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but ian yeah, you're forgetting I, that they're gonna fix everything with the four they, they, hour cut of justice league that's a good point everything that's will be fixed point. And all of the normal moviegoers will have seen that and will understand that these are two separate Justice League movies. Yes. Uh, okay, that's <laughs> a talk for another day. But, but um, they left open ends with Cheetah, right? She didn't lose her powers. Yeah, I think they kind of legally or contractually were obliged to keep Kristen yeah. Wiig alive. So, so uh, Cheetah is one of like Wonder Woman's like biggest villains. Okay. So... I would be uh I would like to see more of them. Hopefully they could really nail down what Cheetah should look like. I think it would be great to see Cheetah 40 years older and have Wonder Woman fighting a oh, I don't know right. 70 did... year old Cheetah in 2020. Well, I'm guessing she got like the anti-aging power too. Why? I don't know. She asked to be like Diana. She rescinded her wish though. No, she didn't. Yeah, she did. No, she didn't. I'm like 40% sure that there was a specific scene where 
it like goes to her face after Pedro Pascal has rescinded his wish that she rescinds her wish. I really didn't think that she did. Well, gonna, maybe I'm wrong. I'm going to watch the last 30 alive. minutes of this movie and take a Snapchat and send it to you. And she's be like, still alive. Shit. Yes. So, so I'm thinking if she's still alive, she's going to get her powers back somehow. Yeah, probably. So, okay. So do you think then that you want Cheetah to be like a main villain in Wonder Woman 3? Are there any other like Wonder Woman villains that are you want to see? Cersei would to the be f- pretty cool. Who? Cersei. You know, like the mythological sorceress. Lannister? <laughs> I don't know who Cersei is. Is it like from the Odyssey, I think? Or maybe it was the Iliad. I get them mixed up. Dude, this is great podcasting. I have no idea. <laughs> um, she she is like a famous witch from okay. the comics and one of one of uh, the greatest villains from Wonder Woman's comics that I know of. Cool. So yeah. I feel like we've been talking about this for five minutes and I have no idea what you want from Wonder Woman 3. Like, can you summarize like you want Cersei and oh, yeah, I, modern I, I, I day? Think- I think that I don't really know what I want from it. Um, with the two movies being so different in tone, I, I don't really... And, and not knowing the future of the DCEU, what they're going to do with the rest of the characters, so we mm-hmm. don't know if they can even come to present time. We might see just another thing like 1984, but in like the 90s or something. Yeah. I think I would prefer a modern day one. So would I, but I, I just don't know how they're going to do it. Well, I mean... It seems like DC's mentality is do and then think later. So I guess that's how they're going to do it. <laughs> like, I don't think there's a huge issue with I, they just made a Joker movie that has nothing to do with anything else. So, like, yeah, I don't see why they can't do that with Wonder Woman. I, I would think the same thing if they didn't already establish that Wonder Woman was in a universe with yeah. other heroes. That That's the issue to me. I'm fine with. I'm fine with movies uh, like set on their own, like Joker. I, I wasn't a big fan of Joker, but I'm fine with movies being set like that. I just don't know if it's too late for Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, though. Okay. Well, I mean, so they are doing a Shazam 2 and an Aquaman 2, so maybe they've got something in the works. Who knows? Um, mm-hmm. But still promising to see that we'll get a Wonder Woman 3. I'm hoping that it's better than Wonder Woman 2, but, you know, not much you can do. Last <laughs> thing I'll say, Pedro Pascal abandoning his ideals at the end of this movie for the sake of his son is very baby yoda energy yeah i thought that was funny yeah we've seen him just be like lose his shit because his kid's in danger twice in the last couple weeks so um and again one question that i had from the mandalorian is why mando would go to the effort of keeping such a perfectly trimmed mustache when no one sees his face but now I know why, because I don't think that Pedro Pascal should ever shave his mustache. It's beautiful. It's a national treasure. And he looks worse without it in this film. Yeah, I agree. It didn't look quite right to me. <laughs> Almost like a CGI face where they take a mustache off. Oh, good reference. All right, let's go ahead and move on <laughs> to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. Uh, I think we've both been watching a ton of stuff this holiday season. So I thought we would mix it up a little bit with our point two section and just do this rapid fire review segment where we each give really quick reviews of everything that we've been watching and whether we'll recommend it. So Ian, why don't you start us off? What have you been watching recently? Uh, so tis the season. I've been watching a lot of holiday movies. Um, started it off with Home Alone's one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, the only Home Alone movies. <laughs> <laughs> I still will never see the third one. I might have seen it in the past, but I will never recognize it 
exists. <laughs> These are the ones with Kevin McAllister where he's a yes. domestic terrorist. Yeah, those are the ones. Yeah. Um, and somehow still make more sense than a lot of Wonder Woman. Um, yeah. <laughs> Agree. But I, I think they're really fun holiday movies. Uh, I would definitely recommend them unless you're like a, unless you aren't a fan of sort of body horror. <laughs> <laughs> And like Only extreme, for like, fans. <laughs> like extreme, like Tom and Jerry level violence, but yeah. live action. <laughs> um, have you have you seen both of them? Um, I haven't seen them in a long time, but I'm sure I've seen them both. Yeah. Oh yeah, Home Alone one and Home Alone two, Lost in New York, very good movies. Yeah. Um, Did you like that you? cameo in yeah. the second one? Oh yeah, I was wondering actually if they would edit that out, but they did not. Um, I'll go ahead and go through reverse chronological order, starting with what I watched yesterday, and I guess we can okay. ping pong back and forth. Uh, I saw The Midnight Sky. This is the sci-fi post-apocalyptic film starring and directed by George Clooney. Oh, um, yeah. It's like a more serious but worse version of The Martian. Didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. And I mean... You know, it looks good. It's free on Netflix. So, like, I would recommend it if you like sci-fi stuff or you're a woman of a certain age and you like George Clooney. But it wasn't it wasn't amazing. I don't know. It was perfectly fine. Cool. Yeah, I was actually really interested in that. Um, another movie I just watched pretty recently is uh, Downhill. Have you seen that? HBO? No. Um, I heard Louis, it wasn't good. Julie Louise Dreyfus and uh, Will Ferrell. Yeah, this was one of those things where... It might have been better to look things up about a movie before you watch it <laughs> rather than going in blind. Yeah. Because, like, okay, you see that cast and you're like, this is going to be funny, right? Yeah. And it really isn't. And it's not, it's not trying to be. It's about uh, a couple having marital issues and they go on this ski trip with their two kids. And it is just so hard to watch the situations that they put these people in. And how they make Will Ferrell's character the worst dad ever. <laughs> um, so it's the feel-good holiday Christmas film of the year. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough watch. Um, right. Not not what I was expecting. Maybe I would have enjoyed it more if it was uh, if I knew what it was. <laughs> you got it. Next up for me is Soul, Pixar's Ooh, latest yeah. film. That was the one that went to Disney Plus. It's excellent. Um, I think it has a fantastic beginning and a fantastic ending. It's very inside outy um, because it's directed by Pete Doctor as well. Um, I think the middle is much more of a traditional animated film, kind of just silly hijinks. I don't think it's as good as the beginning and the end, but really good. Um, and I'm going to talk about it more next week for a full review, but would definitely recommend that one. Cool. I'm excited to see that one. Might watch that tonight or tomorrow. Yeah, um, you should. Yeah, my next one is uh, Yes, God, Yes on Netflix. I've seen this, yeah. Oh, you have? Yeah. <laughs> it's about a like Catholic girl who is like going through her like sexual awakening pretty much. Yeah. Um, and coming to terms with how uh, to do that in a religious setting and then eventually learning like everybody is awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But it, it was really fun, and I, I like seeing Natalia Dyer, I think is her name, uh, mm -hmm. playing the lead. She's really fun, and it's, it's a fun movie. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of like eighth grade 
where it's just like yeah. awkward things happen. And if you can relate to them, great. But if you can't, it's like, uh, I just don't want to be watching this. I don't know what you thought. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good, though. Yeah. All right. Next for me is Moulin Rouge. Have you seen this? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Fucking weird jukebox musical. I was confused, but I was entertained. So do with that what you will. I don't <laughs> is, know. is that it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I guess similar review. I watched A Bad Mom's Christmas. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's another one of those movies where I think it's just famous people wanting to hang out with each other. And they're like, let's call it a movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Mila Kunis, Catherine Hahn, um, Kristen Bell, Susan Sarandon. A, bu- a bunch of really famous people and it's just nonsense it's <laughs> <laughs> but it's sort of fun it's not the kind of christmas movie you want to watch with your kids though <laughs> sounds exactly like wonder woman 1984 yeah three stars <laughs> out of five or ten don't even tell me i'm i'm going okay <laughs> my next one black bear This is Audrey Plaza's indie from earlier this year. It's, I guess, like vaguely about a writer who goes to a cabin to write her next screenplay. I really didn't like this film at all. It like, in some ways, turned me off from watching an independent movie for a couple days. I was just like, I I need a movie that I know is going to be straightforward. Um, And then I watched Moulin Rouge, so I I don't know what I was doing. But um, I feel like this film is really weird and obtuse without having a real purpose or reason for being weird and obtuse. Um, Mm. But I will say I'm in the minority. I think many, many people love this movie. So I don't know, but it wasn't for me. Um, I also just watched because of kiss, kiss, bang, bang from our last uh, episode. I was really on an RDJ like watch a thon. So you watched Iron Man. No, I watched. No, I watched well, yes. Iron Man two. <laughs> yes, but also I watched Sherlock Holmes: A Game of Shadows. Oh, nice! Which is the second in the Sherlock Holmes? Uh, I don't know if you can call it a franchise. Um, I think they're making a third one. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I'm excited for that all over again now. Yeah, um, sure. But it was another one of those movies like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, um, but it's after Iron Man. So I, I'm, I'm guessing they were like. Yeah, can you do that, but as Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and beyond Robert Downey Jr. and his like chemistry with uh, Jude Law. What's his name? Jude Law. Uh, it's not that great of a movie, but it's always so fun to see uh, Robert Downey Jr. bounce off people like that. Yeah, I think some of the action in that movie is kind of sick, so I like that movie too. Yeah. Next for me, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. This is a fantastic film about a young girl who goes to New York City with her cousin to get an abortion. It's very quiet, very understated, and also very difficult to watch. Um, but I think it's fantastic, and I would definitely recommend it to people who are able to put up with those types of movies, the ones that are very withdrawn and quiet and the characters don't talk much, but they're... Mm-hmm exploring these very real feelings it, it almost feels like a documentary of sorts so really good film um but you've been warned um i watched a, a muppets christmas carol <laughs> okay. this was this was a first time watch for me i think i i might have seen it when i was very little but i think this was a first time watch have you ever seen it no but it, didn't it come out like a couple years ago 
Am I just thinking like the Muppets movie with Jason Siegel? It's 1992. Oh, okay. Then no, I've never seen this. Um, it's probably now my favorite of like the Christmas Carol movies. Yeah. I thought it was really fun. I love, I love the Muppets. There are some really creepy, um, I don't know if they were like animations or puppets, but the, the, the ghosts of like Christmas, like future, past and present, one of them is really creepy. And Maddie said that they had to like, they edited out one of the songs from the movie (laughs) because it was like so bad. Okay. So I don't know if if anybody has seen that, but I, I haven't seen that song, um, and I, I really enjoyed it. So I don't know if that song really drags this movie down. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Cool. Yeah, I've never seen it, and I probably won't, but I appreciate you sharing. <laughs> uh, speaking of Christmas movies, I also watched for the first time Last Christmas. That was on my list. <laughs> yeah, this is an incredibly mediocre rom-com with a very predictable plot and borderline unlikable characters but the ending made me cry like a little baby um it wasn't actually because of the romance or like how that ends but because i thought it was just an incredibly touching holiday message that the film ends on and it was just such a good feeling movie that i was like ah god damn it you broke me movie so i mean i guess this is a recommend because the message is so beautiful but the movie is not good yeah, uh, I, I agree with you on that one. Um, my my last movie I'm going to talk about is Wine Country. I don't know if you've seen that one, Amy Poehler, Maya Rudolph. I haven't. It's like a Netflix no, thing, right? Yeah, it's another one of the, those movies like Bad Mom's Christmas where it seems like it's people just wanting to have fun with each other and then yeah. they call it a movie. <laughs> it's just like six women hanging out together uh, at a vineyard vacation for for a birthday. And it seems like they probably like were just doing that and had a camera rolling because there are so many moments that you're like, do I do I have to be watching this right now? <laughs> but you did. Um, but, it, so. but but it but it is fun. Uh, Amy Poehler is always fun, funny to watch. Yeah. So is Tina Fey. All right. So um, I'll just hit two more then. One positive, one negative. I will do the negative one first, so we end on a positive note. Uh, the prom. Did you see oh, that yeah. on Netflix? No, I haven't. I, I didn't watch it because you said it was bad. Yeah. No, well, way to spoil it. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> no, I just we said that I was going to say it was bad. section of the prom. <laughs> uh, yeah, Netflix musical based on the Broadway play. I, I thought this movie was horrendous. Um, terrible music, terrible characters. Basically, the do you know the plot of this movie? Uh, is it about a prom? Yeah, I mean, yes. That's not a plot. Okay. The plot <laughs> is that um, a group of actors pretend to care about the plight of a lesbian teenager in Indiana who wants to go to prom with her girlfriend, but can't because the PTA cancels prom when they discover that um, a gay couple is going to be at the prom. So uh, the actors go to Indiana and they rally support in an attempt to gain social clout, basically. They're like, oh, we want we want some sort of uh, uh, thing to attach uh, ourselves to so it like promotes our career right so the celebrities are playing themselves yeah so hold on to that point because the movie actually does make a whole satirical point about how it's pretty fucked up that celebrities do this and that they essentially take advantage of social issues to appeal to the public and uh, promote their own career but uh, <laughs> that's exactly what this movie is doing and I feel like the movie's completely unaware of how ironic that is and Ugh. like that part just pissed me off so much. 
I would say that this film is completely irredeemable if it wasn't for the fact that it is very clearly important. It's a very clearly important film to and emotionally resonates with a lot of people in the LGBTQ community. Like if you go on Twitter and you look at the prom, there's a lot of really positive responses to this. And I think if high school prom was something that felt alienating to you, like as a viewer, if you thought of that experience as something really negative and you felt like you couldn't be yourself at prom, then this film might be like a very good catharsis for those feelings. And because of that, like no amount of criticism that I have matters if the film makes people feel represented and seen. So like I hated the film, but I'm I'm really genuinely glad that like it made people happy and people connected to it. So that's all mm-hmm. that matters. So I wouldn't recommend it, but I think like if you if that seems like a film that you like, then maybe you would. I don't know. Okay. And then last one, positive, like I said, ending on a positive note, kind of a bittersweet note, I guess, is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Oh. Yeah. So this is Netflix film, Chadwick Boseman's final performance. Um, It's based on a play and you can really tell it's based on a play. It's one of those films where like the entire movie is telling instead of showing because like that's what a play does. And I'm not like a huge fan of when movies just sort of feel like a filmed version of a stage play. But regardless of that, I think Chadwick Boseman, it's a really, really beautiful performance. I'm sure he'll be in the Oscars conversation. He already is. And I think it's just like one of those films that I watched and I was like, fuck, that guy had so much left to give. Like his performances Mm -hmm. that we would have gotten in the next four decades would have been incredible. So kind of bittersweet, but the movie's really good. I think you'd probably like it a lot, Ian. Yeah, that's on my list. It's one of those things where I'm putting off watching him. (laughs) in a lead role because i don't know how i'll react i watched endgame recently and it was i was a wreck <laughs> um yeah so i just remembered something else that i've been watching recently i'm not quite finished with it yet and i'm gonna be really sad when it's over but i'm watching ted lasso on apple tv oh i love that show i'm using up my free trial on it right now <laughs> um this is very much just like the show i needed right now it is yeah. so positive yes it's like it's like watching like Mr. Rogers or something. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, J- Jason Sudeikis. He's so good in this. He's not at all what I thought this show was going to be. Um, it's about a small time football coach in America going to uh, coach a British football team, but soccer. And he-, he doesn't know anything about soccer. And he's just the most positive guy like coming into like this onslaught of people hating him because he doesn't know how to coach soccer, <laughs> but it, it's just the most positive show. And I, I love it so much. Yeah. I love that show too. I think the ending is really great. There's, I believe two more seasons coming. So, Oh really? Yeah. It's super exciting. Oh, nice. We talked a little bit last week about how one of the things I love about the Mandalorian is that it feels inconsequential and that it's mm-hmm. kind of low stakes. And I feel like Ted Lasso does that too, where it's like, there's very few f- shows that I think are really good quality and that I actually care about the characters where there's no guarantee that those characters are going to die or that something terrible is going to happen. I feel like I watch that show and and it's sort of just the stakes are, are they going to win the soccer game or excuse me, the football game? And it's like, okay, yeah, I can, I can deal with that. My 2020 body can really deal with that level of stakes and it's really just such a fun show to be like oh what are they gonna do this week you know Mm -hmm. and just like watching his like contagious positivity like rub off on people is amazing such a good show 
Highly recommend it. Thank you for letting us end on a positive note. And with that, this has been our review of Wonder Woman 1984 and everything else we've watched this Christmas. Ian, thank you so much for joining me. Is there anything specific you'd like to plug here? Okay, so if you've listened to any episodes of me on this podcast, you know that I I, I watch a lot of Survivor. And I've come to the point where Survivor is scattered on so many different streaming platforms so if anybody who listens to this podcast knows the best place to like watch Survivor, let me know because I'm really struggling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and where can they reach you, Ian, on Twitter? Uh, you, you can reach me on Twitter at i Anderson on Twitter. Um, just like click on like most of movie mo- movie marathoners posts on Twitter, and you can probably find me there. Yeah, that is very true. The intro music for this episode is a piece called "Work" by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at Incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMaripod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMaripod. That's Movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our website, EvergreenPodcasts.com slash Movie-Marathoners. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Overcast, Himalaya, and CastBox. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing, and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when, at long last, Colby Mack returns to the podcast to review Pixar's latest film, Soul. As I mentioned before, it's out now on Disney+, Plus, so check it out. And stay tuned for that. Until then, remember that life's a marathon, so let's take it one movie at a time. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dino Tripodis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.